It's wonderful to have all your children here and all the children here. Um, last week we talked about how important it is to, to build up the next generation and how important it is for us to care for those who come after us. And today we're going to see what God wants for that as far as our lives now. And though it won't be easy, it is possible. And that God has the answer for us. I want to open in a word of prayer because I know that in our hearts, in every one life, there's not one life here, myself really included, where there's not a place where I need courage or a place where you need courage. And today God's going to talk to us about what it means to have courage where we feel afraid. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you give us these children. They, they add so much to our lives. They mean so much to us, and, and we need them, Lord. They are the hope you give to us. You tell us they are the gift that you give to us. And so, Father, we pray that in this time now, as we look into the word about what it means to go into battle and to, to have courage, Lord, I pray that we would have great courage because of who you are, and that we would have great courage because you are with us, and we would have great courage in spite of fear, that we would seek to do that which is right and good because you love us and because we love those that we fight with and that we fight for. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we think of courage and we think of bravery, we think of people. I do. I want you to just take a moment now and think, who's the bravest person you know? Who's somebody that you really look up to who's had great courage, living or dead? Who's somebody that you think about that you go, you know what, if I, in my life, could have courage, I would want to have courage like this person. In my life, there's a young man named Leo. Leo is 21 years old. He was on his way to fight in the Gulf War. Um, I had met him. I was the pastor at his church many years ago. And uh, he was a college student, but he decided to leave college and, and to work. But he also joined the Navy Reserves. And then Operation Desert Storm called him up to be uh, a soldier and to go back to the Middle East. And he's just 21 years old. He was the youngest soldier that I knew. And he's part of my church, and he's a friend of mine. So we went out to dinner the night before he was deployed. And we had dinner, and I remember asking him a question. And I said to him, with, with concern in my heart, I said to him, Leo, are you ready to die? And he looked at me, and he said, with confidence and with assurance, with peace. He said, yes. And so off he went. And he came back about a year later, alive and well. His tour done. He continued to be reserved. And we continued to get to know each other, and he continued to work, and we became, again, just better friends as it was. And one night he called me, and he said, Hey, Curtis, um, I've been having these really, really bad headaches. And um, I went to go see one doctor, and I don't think that he has the answer. I need to see another. Would you take me? And so I took him to a, um, a neurosurgeon, and we went to go see this doctor together. And after the tests were done, um, they looked into his brain, and they saw a blood clot, and they thought that um, it was probably cancer. And so they, they went in and, and they put a stint in so that there would be some drainage to relieve the pressure. But indeed, he had cancer and he had to go in for another surgery. 
And so now this is 1995, and, and Leo... Um, was having these terrible headaches at the end of the year. And, and so uh, after the doctors decided what they needed to do, they, they put him into the hospital in January of 1996 for surgery to remove the tumor. And they had great hope that they'd be able to remove it and everything would be okay. And so he went in and he had the surgery and I was home and, and many of us at church were praying that night. And I got a phone call and the phone call said, oh, the surgery's over and Leo's doing great. And he's doing really well. And so, praise God, we were just so thankful and we were so happy and so glad. And then we had peace. A couple hours later, I got another phone call. And the phone call, I remember, it just said something really strange and really scary. It said, Leo's brain's not working. And so we, we all rushed to the hospital and we all went to see what had happened. And what had happened was after the surgery, something had gone wrong. And where the surgery took place, the lower part of the brain began to swell. And after it swelled so much, um, he went into a coma. And the, the probability of him coming out of that coma um, wasn't real high. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we stayed there for, you know, months on end. And, and I don't remember how long he was there until he was transferred to a hospital closer to where we lived. And, and he was still in a, um, a state of a coma. He, we had hope. We had hope that he would come out of the coma. We had hope that he would get better. And then there was a time where he did seem to have a little bit of clarity. His eyes would open. He seemed to be able to recognize us, and he'd be able to make sounds. Um, but during those years that he was in the coma, the best that I ever saw of him was when it, we saw him and I visited him. And his mom said, who is that, Leo? And he just gutturally tried to say my name. And that was the last time I heard his voice. And he remained in a coma state, in and out, and went through different surgeries, continued to fight different diseases. But his eyes would open, and his eyes would move. And for 5, 10, 14 years, Leo continued to fight. And to me, Leo has always been my hero. He's been the person who, to me, displays courage more than anybody else that I've ever known. Because I truly believe that he was very aware, and very conscious of what was going on around him, even as he floated up and down in the coma scales. And that he was able to look at me and look at us, and we would read the scriptures, and his mom and dad loved him so much, and would take care of him almost every day, going to the hospital, feeding him, massaging him, turning him over, rubbing him down, giving him baths. And this family displayed to me what it really means to have courage. Yes, he was a soldier, and that takes great courage. But to me, the point that I'll always remember is the courage that he had to continue to live when he could have given up and died. And God wants us all to have that type of courage. And he wants us to be able to face challenges that we may not look forward to in life. But he wants us to have the kind of courage that will let us know let us know that we can continue and let other people know there's a God who cares about them and lets them continue. Because every time we visited Leo, he gave us courage. And every time we visited with my children, they learned what it meant to respect life and to know life is valuable, even if it couldn't get up and do a lot of things. Just that life was valuable because we loved him and he loved us. And this is what God wants for us today as we look into the story of Joshua 
And as we look into the story of what Joshua is going to teach us, that they're about to go into this land where there's these tremendous giants and these huge walls, but God has something to say to them. And we look into Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, and we'll see this, where we learn. Our first point of today is what we're going to learn. We learn that true courage is about faith. True courage is about faith over flesh. No matter what you're facing, no matter what I'm facing, it's always something of the flesh. So whatever challenge we have, whatever we're afraid to do, whatever we're afraid to face, it's because we're human. There's something of our flesh, whether it's an illness, a disease, a challenge, whether it's finances, whether it's health, it's, it's a, because we're human, so there's a problem. And the answer to overcome the fear of the flesh is always faith. So the, the answer is always going to be God. The answer is always going to be faith. And so this is what God says to Joshua in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them, to be strong and very courageous. This is what God is saying to us. We're going to hear three five-word sentences today. Three five-word sentences. And, and out of these 15 words, I just want you, at, by the end of today's message, to be able to choose one of them that most applies to your heart. And the first five-word sentence is this. What God says to Joshua, I will be with you. I will be with you. These five words are God's promise to us that no matter what we're facing, Whatever in our lives, our flesh is challenged. That God is saying, I want you to have faith and to believe, I will be with you. So what is it? What challenge are you facing right now? There's, there's three places also that I think of in, in my life and in your life where we are challenged in life. And, and the first thing is the things that we have. Right, the things that we already have. So right now, you, you, you have um, a relationship with somebody. You, many of you here are married. You have children. You have them. You have jobs. All right? You have school. You have opportunity. Right? These are the things that we have right now. And God wants us to take those things that we have and live by faith with them. He wants us to take the things that we have, whatever it is, that we already have, that we're working on, whatever it is that we already have that we're sort of afraid that we're going to lose, or what is it that we already have that makes us feel challenged in life, like, I don't know what to do with it. I have it, and I have this job, I don't know what to do with it. And I, I have this opportunity, I don't know what to do with it. I have this money, or I don't have this money, and I don't know what to do. All right? This is what we have right now. God wants to tell us that I'll be with you. I'll be with you in this. How do we know God's presence with us? Now, how do we know what he wants us to do? Or how do we know where we're supposed to go? How do we know what pleases him? Well, God tells Joshua in the words right after he tells him to be strong and to be courageous. He says in verses 7 and 8, Joshua, I want you to do this and I want you to tell the people to do this. To be careful. To be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, 
Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. God wants us to know his word. So, so many of us now, right, we're reading the story. And I think I probably should ask you every week because it's, it's always good to be accountable. Um, how many of you have read the story this week? At least part of it, all right? Most of your hands are going up, all right? So every week I should ask you, right, because it's just good to be accountable. So next week what I should ask you is how many of you read chapter 8, all right? As I said, how many of you read chapter, how many of you read chapter 7 this week, all right? All right, great job. Almost as many hands. So next week, we'll see all the hands up. How many will read chapter 8 this week? Everybody up. Everybody can read chapter 8. We have the book. If you don't have a story, they're on the back table. Uh, You can pick one up there, and it's only five bucks, and you can take it for free if you want. Um, But just read it, right? Chapter 8, all right? The story. This is God's law, right? This is what God is teaching us. This is how we know how to live by faith. This is our faith book. Okay, everybody loves their Facebook, right? All right, but this is our faith book. And let me say, we need this a whole lot more, right? This is our connection with God. This is our way that we know what to do. Yeah, it takes courage to be a soldier, absolutely. It takes courage to be a fireman to run into a burning building. It takes courage to be a policeman and face the evils of this world. But that doesn't mean you and I can't have courage all because we don't have those callings or those jobs. Each of us needs courage to take what we have right now, whatever we have, and use it for God. So that we're reading God's word to know how does that affect the choices I make in college, the choices I'm making in school, the relationships that I have with my friends. I read God's word to know how do I treat my wife or my husband in marriage? How do I raise my family? I read the word of God to know how do I live within my family? How do I treat them with respect? How do I show love? I learn to read the word of God so I know how do I act in this world? What's moral? What's ethical? How do I live my job in such a way that I reflect the ministry that God has put into my heart? How do I handle the finances that God's given to me? All the money, all the blessings God's given to me, how do I know what to do with that? What am I supposed to do with it? How do I know? If we don't read the Bible, we won't know. We'll let other people tell us what to do. We'll let commercials tell us what to do. We'll let society tell us what to do. We'll let our neighbors tell us what to do. We'll even let our parents tell us what to do. If they and I aren't reading the word of God, then I won't know what God wants me to do. And so as I read the word of God and I take it carefully, it gives me courage to live out. It's not easy. Courage isn't supposed to be easy or wouldn't be very valuable. What we respect so much about people with courage is that they're people of integrity, people of character, and that's what we want to be. And so God wants to have the courage in all things so that we can have faith over all the challenges of the flesh. C.S. Lewis says this, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Not just one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. So love is tested by courage. Joy is tested by courage. Goodness is tested by courage. 
Mercy is tested by courage. Generosity is tested with courage. And so God wants us to take what we have and use it for his glory. That's where we must face our lives with courage. But then there are times where we get what we don't want, right? There are times in our lives when we have to have courage in places where we have to go where we don't want to go, just like the Israelites. They didn't want to go into the promised land because of the giants. They didn't want to go into the promised land because of the possibility of death. They didn't want to go into the promised land because of the huge walls that stood before them. But then again, they did want to go into the promised land. They wanted to go into the promised land because they wanted the land of milk and honey. They did want to go into the promised land because that would be the place where they could raise their families in a beautiful place. They did want to go into the promised land because that's where they would fulfill their destiny. That's where they would find real satisfaction. That's where they would find significance in their life. They did want to go into the promised land, but then they didn't want to go into the promised land. And I think we're all like that. We... We do want all the good stuff, but we don't want all the hard stuff. And God says you can't have it both ways. That just like the Israelites, they need to have courage. And they have to go where they don't want to go to get what they've always wanted. And this is what God wants for us too. He wants us to know that we're going to go into a world and we are going to have to face evil and we're going to have to face wickedness. But like God, we're going to have to face it with grace. So that we need to know that true courage, when we have to go into a place where we don't want to go, this is the answer. We have to know that true courage requires grace versus wickedness. That there is wickedness in the world. But we are going to find courage when we use grace and we use God's grace in our lives to know that God is with us, that we will go forward. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, The Bible says, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. Every man charged straight in and they took the city. Clearly, that wasn't conventional warfare. They had their swords. They had their javelins. They had their spears. But they didn't need to use them. Instead, what God said is, I want you to give trumpets, some ram's horn to seven priests. And it doesn't even tell us that the priests were musicians, right? It's just it's like giving me a trumpet, right? I have no idea what to do with it. But God says, you know, get six other pastors, and I want you to walk around the city and blow on the trumpet, and every battle that you ever want to fight, you will win because you blow it. They probably couldn't carry a tune. But they just blew on their horns. Because God said, if you do this, if you trust me, you will see my grace. It is not your power. It is my power. It is not your ability. It is my ability. I have the strength to do this. You don't have the strength to do this. And so I'm going to show you how you know you don't have to do this. I'm going to do it for you. I want you to put down all your swords and I want you to take seven priests and I want you to march around the wall for six days once a day. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around that wall seven times. And after the seventh time, I want you to blow your horns. I want everybody to shout and the wall is going to come falling down. 
Really? Really, God? I think you and I face the same challenges. God says, I want you to trust me. I want you to do what's right no matter what. I want you to go where you don't necessarily want to go, but I want you to go where you know you're supposed to go. And I want to take care of you. You're going to have to face the wicked things of this world with my power. The famous story of David and Goliath is another story that helps us to see the same truth here. Where David was faced with this giant Philistine man and a giant army. And they were all going to come over and kill the Israelites. But one man stood up. One man named David stood up. And he said to the Philistines, and he said to David, and he, I said to Goliath, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, give all of you into our hands. The second five-letter sentence is for any of us who are facing issues that deal with evil. If your fear and if my fear is because I have to face some form of evil, somebody who is a very sinful person, face some sort of issue that's very wrong in this world and is hurting me, then the answer is these five words that David said, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So that when you and I look into this evil world, We are going to be afflicted by it. We are going to be pressed between that which is evil and that which is wicked. And when we read the Old Testament, especially Joshua, we read some pretty gory details. So if you read chapter 7, and maybe if you've never read Joshua before, you're going, oh, wow. You mean God? God wanted them to wipe out whole societies, even the animals? That's, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? So if we look at even Joshua chapter 6, verse 21, the Bible says that after Joshua and the priests, that they blew down the walls with their trumpets, then it says this, they devoted the city. So they went into the city, the walls fell down. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old. Cattle, sheep, and donkeys. That, that's hard. And we can't ignore it, all because it's hard. We read throughout the Old Testament, through the travels of the Israelites, that God would command them to do things like this, to literally obliterate their enemies, young and old. And it is hard for us to understand, especially us in our society today, Because we don't have the full understanding of the glory and the righteousness of God and his absolute consuming passion for righteousness and for goodness. I mean, just think about it. We we can sort of understand it. If evil touched you, if your family was killed by a terrorist in 9-11, if your family was that family that was killed by this person over at LAX the other day, If your family was killed by some of those people that do terrible things around the world and they call themselves part of this group called Al-Qaeda, 
Wouldn't you, wouldn't you, if you had the power, say, I want to get rid of Al-Qaeda in the world? Wouldn't you just say, if I could do it, I would do it? If we had the forces and the power in the United States, the ability to do it, let's do it. Let's get rid of Al-Qaeda. And then if they were said to us, you know, you can kill us, all right, but our children behind us, they'll rise up and they'll do what we were going to do. Then wouldn't we say, then we must kill your children too? Because they will rise up and do the same evil that you were always planning to do. And even in our own hearts, we would say, you know what, as hard as that is, if that's what you're going to do, if the DNA of evil and wickedness is within your seed, and you are not going to stop doing evil, then we must kill all things related to you. It's hard. But it's the righteousness of God wanting that which is pure and holy, and to give other people a chance so that other people, other nations, other families are not killed and not destroyed by that evil that they were planning to do and that was in the seed of even their families. It's hard. But God had done it before. And he'd even done it on his own, as we read in the first chapter in creation is that when evil was so great throughout all the world, so terrible, that God had to send a flood to kill young and old and animals all around the world. Because he so longed to have a world filled with people who would trust him and would stop hurting each other. That he would want to have a world that was so filled with people who would care about other people and give grace to other people. So that grace, at times, must face wickedness and destroy it. But then grace always bears fruit of more grace. So that when grace destroys wickedness, God will still produce a fruit of grace from that victory. And we see it immediately. Again, so immediately after the walls fell down, the people went in and killed everybody. But immediately, the Bible tells us that after they had gone in and killed all the people and all the cattle and all the sheep and all the donkeys, there was still one family they did not kill. And so in Joshua chapter 6, verse 22, the Bible says, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land. So these were the spies who had gone into Jericho before the battle. And it says, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And so right after all the people had been destroyed, God found one. Rahab, like Noah was one. That God would be able to use and to save and to show his grace. And it wasn't just Rahab. Now, who was Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. We don't think real highly of prostitutes, or at least we ought not to. And that's what she was known as. In this evil city, there was a prostitute named Rahab. But there was something about her that was willing to accept the grace of God, the only one willing to receive God's forgiveness. And the spies had been sent by Joshua into Jericho earlier to spy out the city and to see what it was like. And while they were in there, they, they had to hide for some reason. Maybe they were afraid of being found. And they went into the room of a 
harlot of a prostitute named Rahab. And Rahab protected them. And she knew that they were from a tribe called Israel who would destroy her city. She knew that they were powerful. And she said, when you come in and destroy the city, would you please spare me and my family? And they said, our lives for yours, you saved us, we'll save you. And so this is the story that we read about Rahab. And so the armies go in, but Rahab and her whole family, everybody that believed her, when she said, there's these people that are going to come into the city, our city's going to be destroyed, but if you stay with me, we'll be the only ones who will live. They believed her. They stayed with her, and her family was spared. God's grace in the midst of evil is always there. God's grace is there for us as well. Rahab, when she left, she joined the Israelite community. She married a man named Salmon. They had a son named Boaz. They had a grandson named Obed. They had a great-grandson named Jesse. They had a great-great-grandson named David. David was in the royal lineage of Joseph, Mary's husband, Jesus' father. Rahab is in the ancestral line of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Grace in the midst of evil. God's grace is there, and we must take his grace and face wickedness by knowing the battle is the Lord's. So if you're facing evil somewhere, maybe you have an evil boss, maybe you have an evil teacher, maybe you have an evil neighbor, maybe you're, you're being persecuted by somebody, you're being treated wrongly by somebody, you're facing wickedness, you're in a situation that's just not fair, the system's working against you, the battle is the Lord's. Now, We've had to do things, the things that we already have. We've had to face the things that we don't want. But what about the things that we do want? God wants us to have courage so that we can have the things that we do want. And what we do want requires a greater courage that comes after the battle. A courage that shows that we trust God even after the battle's over. See, the victory is not just in the defeat of the enemy. The victory is what happens after the defeat of the enemy. And so true courage to get what we really want in life is to have a victory that continues. So that true courage is shown after the victory is done. It is shown through service to God. Joshua 24. So if you had read this week, we covered Joshua chapter 1 through Joshua chapter 24. And in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it says, Now fear the Lord. These are Joshua's words. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. They've had the battle. They've had the victory. Joshua's about to die. This is his speech to the people. He wants them to know, now we've had the victory. We're in the promised land. We're there. But the work's not done. 
The victory must continue. And the reality of courage after the victory comes in these words. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And so when we come into church, we come into a community of people who don't come just to sit. We come into a community of people who also come to go out into the world and change it. We come into a community of people who come to serve one another and care for each other. So yes, we do serve each other. But then Joshua, when Joshua says, we will serve the Lord, another way of saying it is, we will worship the Lord. We will worship the Lord. And this is the way we continue to get what we want in this world. Because everything that we normally think will be satisfactory in our lives usually is not. What we really want in this world, we may want a house, right? The American dream is to own your own house. But I think what we really want is security. I think what we really want is a loving family unit. I don't think we just want really a dream house. I think we want a dream family. You know, we, we buy cars, and, and we may say, well, you know, it's, it's probably that's our status symbol because that's wherever we go, people can see it. But I don't think we really want cars. I think what we want is to be loved for just for who we are, whatever we drive. We don't want to be judged. You know, it's like, so says, oh, I think you're a really neat person. Why? Well, you, you know, you drive this really expensive car. What? Uh, I mean, people are going to judge us not by what we drive, but by how we drive. Right? And how we drive is who we are. So we don't want a car. We want to be loved for who we are. You know, you think, well, I, I want a great education, right? I want to be, I want to be you know, smart so I, I can be able to do things in this world. And I don't think we really want just a great education. I think what we want is to really have our lives be used for something meaningful and purposeful. So that we will study and pour our lives into something that will change other people's lives and be a blessing to them. See, that's when our life turns away from just the victory of getting what we want that's on the outside to being a heart of service on the inside, to being a person who will worship the Lord out of their whole life. We will serve the Lord are the words that somebody says when they say, you know what, I want to be the person God wants me to be. I want to live the life that God wants me to live. I want to take the life God's given to me and use it for his glory. I want to be a person who overcomes this world and not be one who is like it. In 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5, John says, for every child of God defeats this evil world. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to be like this world. He wants us to defeat this world. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the victory for you and for me. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This isn't just a belief that's in the head. 
This is a belief that takes control of our hearts and our minds and our souls so that then we want to serve the Lord, so that then we want to worship the Lord, so that then we want our whole lives to be honoring to God, so that whatever it is that we need courage, we do it in the Lord and for the Lord and with the Lord because the Lord is with us. Leo was not my only hero. His mom and dad were my heroes too. Leo's dad was the pastor that I began working with when I went to that church. Leo's dad was a, 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 a PhD. He was also a professor. And after he left the church, he went to Taiwan where he was um, teaching at a seminary. And it was at that time that he had asked me and my wife if we would take an eye, keep an eye out on Leo, his son. And that's why Leo and I became good friends. But when Leo had his his surgery, and went into the coma. His mom and dad moved back to the United States, and they gave up their lives in Taiwan. But they never gave up their service to God. And there are other things about Leo's dad's life that was very, very difficult and very, very hard. But every time I knew him, and every time I talked to him, and and listened and watched by his example, he would not give up serving the Lord. And you might think, as I thought, God, here's a man who is serving you, and this happens to him? Here is a man who's given his life, all his life, to studying, to be a professor for you, to be a pastor for you, and and this is what happens to him? But he didn't have that attitude. His attitude was to trust God no matter what. To serve God He never claimed, all because I'm a pastor, this shouldn't happen to me. All because I'm a seminary professor, this shouldn't happen to me. Instead, he proclaimed with his family and by his example, even with Leo in the hospital for 14 plus years, we will serve the Lord. And this is what God calls you and I to do, to serve the Lord. Because the battle against this world is the battle of the Lord, and he will be with us. On your outlines, um, if you have one, you received a sticky note. And if you didn't get a sticky note, just write on your outline or another piece of paper. But I want you to choose one of these five words that you want to just keep before you this week. So maybe you're facing fear. You're facing things that are difficult. You, you, You have something that you need to deal with in life. It's just normal life. But you need to know God's saying to you, I will be with you. You can write those words down. Maybe you're facing evil. You have something in your life you just don't want. There's something that you wish would just go away. But you know it won't. Then you write down, the battle is the Lord's. And maybe you're at a place in your life now where you say, you know what, I just really want what God wants. I really want to do what God wants me to do. It doesn't matter what I face. I know it's going to be hard. I want to live my faith out in a new and fresh way. Then you can write, we will serve the Lord. And remember that word serve means worship. It means giving of yourself to God and to other people. So you choose. I will be with you. The battle is the Lord's. Or we will serve the Lord.
And notice that the we obviously is plural. And it's something that we do together. And as a community of people here at Harvest, we are with each other. We serve with you. You are part and parcel of this family. And you are precious. And God has called you to be with him and to be with us. And we are with you as he is with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and for your goodness. Thank you for giving to us our children that we so enjoy and love. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the trials in life, the difficulties. But most of all, Lord, thank you for the grace that you give to us and the love that you give to us. Thank you for all of the blessings that we have because of Jesus. And help us, Lord, to have faith, to have courage wherever we face battle. Help us to know that no matter what we face, you say to us, I will be with you. Help us, Lord, to know that in the midst of a world where there's so much evil and wickedness, the battle is the Lord's. And Lord, help us as we want to decide to do what is right with our lives to determine we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.